smooth transition for them as well. Our title of our lesson today is Sovereign Over All. Before we go any farther, I, I want to ask a question. What in the world does the word sovereign mean? Okay, the garden to be a good, what kind of control? Total, absolute control. Sovereign over all. Now, who's the only one that fits that bill? God himself. Sovereign over all. Our family theme is the fact that God restores his people. Our objective is to seek God's will, uh, knowing that he is in control and he keeps his promises. Which ones? Every one of them. Amen. Our study text will be in Jeremiah chapter 25, first 13 verses, Ezra uh, chapter 1, and parts of chapter 2 of the book of Ezra. And we'll see how they time, how they come together in just a moment. Our two key truths. Number one, God is sovereign over the world, its rulers, and he does keep his promises. Now remember, uh, God is sovereign over all the world's rulers. Keep that in mind. Second key truth, God restores his people, and he always gives them what they need to do his will. Please note what we need, not always what we want. Our Bible basics, we're encouraged to memorize uh, Psalm 34, verse 4, uh, where the Bible says, David says, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. How, how many are glad when you seek God, he hears us? And the psalmist said, he delivered me from all of my fear. What a promise from God. So where is uh, our story today? And, and by the way, we'll be reading from Jeremiah to begin with. And the reason we're going to begin there is to look at the promise God made 70 years before the events of Ezra took place, okay? So we're going to talk about that first. But we're going to focus primarily uh, in the last part of our lesson in the book of Ezra. And the book of Ezra talked about the time when God's people returned uh, from Babylonian captivity. And this took place over a period of about 81 years, give or take, from 538 B.C. to 457 B.C. Also understand that just as when uh, the Babylonians went in to take the children of Israel captive, the Judah, if you will, they did it in, in different stages. The same is true about the return back to the homeland. So Ezra covers a part of that. And by the way, next week... We'll be in the first two chapters of Nehemiah and see how God used Nehemiah to be a part of rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem. So in our get started this morning, uh, the question we want to talk about today, uh, think about in the Word of God, some unexpected people or things that God used to accomplish His will. What were some of the people in the Bible kind of unexpected, or even some things? Say it again. Oh. Now, you did you read my notes? No. Huh? Yeah, okay. But it's interesting, Wayne. In our text this morning, he calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant. So was Nebuchadnezzar a believer? No. But he's under the sovereign power of God. And that's kind of unique. Uh, remember that time when, uh, hmm. oh, Balaam, on the way to prophesy against the nation of Israel? What did God, who did God use then? The donkey. What did that donkey do? 
You don't believe that, do you? Yeah, absolutely. Who would have thought about that? And, you know, the truth of the matter is, and, and I'm surprised you said Nebuchadnezzar, because that's who my, I came to mind with. I mean, it's certainly true. But to me, if God uses anybody, it's a surprise. Isn't that true? Because none of us are really qualified uh, to fit God's bill. But God, who, my question would be, I guess, if we talk about this, who can God use? Yeah, anybody he wants to. So, uh, again, but God does use some uh, some strange, what we consider strange. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul. Of course, he wasn't always the Apostle, but look what he did uh, before he came to Christ. And yet, uh, God used him. But the fact is, who have sinned? All of us have. None of us are worthy of that. So the book of Ezra, that we mentioned earlier, uh, again, they're coming back home from captivity. And in the book of Ezra, we see that God is sovereign and he has a power to change hearts, to direct hearts, to get his will finished. Now, what's interesting is this. We're going to talk a little about Cyrus this morning, but it didn't matter. And you mentioned Nebuchadnezzar already. And these were some of the most powerful rulers in the world at that time. But yet, who controlled them? God did. He's sovereign of all of those rulers. And he does that. And he controls the action of people, but he does that so that his will and his promises are going to come to pass. Now, also remember, what does God know? Okay, he knows everything. When does he know it? All the time. So he had a plan. He knew exactly how this was all going to flesh out. So our first key truth in Jeremiah 25, Ezra chapter 1 uh, God is sovereign over all the world and keeps his promises. So let's read the first 13 verses of Jeremiah chapter 25 and the first three verses of Ezra chapter 1. Anybody want to read that? Thank you. 
Anybody got Ezra chapter 1, the first three verses? Thank you, Dan. We, ran, we began in Jeremiah this morning, again, because in Jeremiah we see uh, not only the warnings that God had given to the nation of Judah. Uh, now remember, during the times of the kings, the nation was divided into two parts. The northern kingdom was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah. And again, that was part of their punishment because of the rebellion against God. But the bottom line was, uh, God had warned the people of Judah. Now also remember... Uh, the northern kingdom had gone into captivity quite a few years before the southern kingdom did. And certainly, if you read uh, some of the uh, accounts in the book of Kings and from the prophets, uh, you would you'd have thought that the southern kingdom would have learned their lesson from the northern kingdom, but they didn't. In fact, on at least a couple of occasions, God said, the fact of the matter, you become worse than they are. Uh, but nonetheless, God warned them. And of course, Jeremiah was one of the prophets. And for 23 years, the Bible says, Jeremiah warned him, if you don't change your ways, God is going to bring you into captivity. Now, they didn't change their ways, and what happened? Yeah, they were captured by the Babylonians. Now, Jeremiah sort of gives us the, uh, the timing of this in the first uh, parts of chapter 25. been around 605 B.C. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took them or began to take them into captivity, and again, by different uh, stages of that captivity. But it's interesting, uh, going even back to Leviticus, God warned the children of Israel, if you don't obey me, here's what's going to happen. And in Leviticus, he talks about different stages. He said, this will happen. If that don't change, then this will happen. And the worst thing going to happen, one of these times, if you, don't, if you go against me, 
you'll end up going into captivity. Now, one of the things that every year as I read my Bible through and I get to the book of Kings and even in the book of Chronicles talks about this. Uh, when you get to the chapter uh, toward the end of Second uh, Kings, whenever uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in and they destroy the city and they burn the temple to the ground. What a sad, sad story that is. And the reason that it's sad because it didn't have to happen. It simply did not have to happen. But Jeremiah said, not only did I preach for 23 years to warn you, God sent other prophets as well to warn you about the danger that's going to come if you don't repent and change your ways. So the bottom line was, did they repent? No. They ignored the word that God had sent. And so God was going to allow them to fall uh, into the hands of the enemies. And, of course, God uh, kept his word with that warning, that promise he made for many, many years. Now, it's interesting, uh, and, and again, Wayne, it's, it's amazing because even Nebuchadnezzar, this world leader, was really God's servant. And uh, so God used him, if you will, uh, to overtake Jerusalem and take most of the people into the promised land, into captivity, I mean, from the promised land, into captivity. Now, by the way, would this be a happy time for the people? No. And Jeremiah says as much in chapter 25. Now, again, uh, the Assyrians <coughs> took the northern tribe uh, captive some years before that, quite a few years before that. And what they did, uh, they took the northern, they took Israel, the northern uh, tribes, if you will, and they took them and they sort of dispersed them across the world, relocated them, and they intermingled with other people. Now, by the way, uh, in the New Testament times, uh, Jesus, uh, the Jews talked a lot about the Samaritans. What did the Jews think about the Samaritans? Yeah. Why, you know, they were considered half-breeds because they intermingled with other people. Now, what's interesting is this. When Nebuchadnezzar uh, took Judah in captivity, the southern kingdom, he allowed them to live in their own, for lack of a better word, colonies, if you will. They were allowed to build, uh, in fact, that's where these tabernacles began to be built in Babylon. Uh, they were allowed to continue their worship while they were in uh, Babylon for the most part. So they kept part of their identity. They didn't lose it. Now, that's kind of interesting. Now, keep in mind, but who's in charge here? God is. So, again, God allowed that to happen. So they, they maintain their own heritage. Now what's interesting, uh, we're not going to read it today, but Ezekiel talks about uh, the impending judgment of God on the nation of Israel through the people of Babylon. And God says to Ezekiel in chapter 5, I want you to take a knife or a razor and I want you to shave off the hair of your head, including your beard. And I want you to take that and divide it into three sections, three equal sections. And God says to Ezekiel, some will die by the sword, some will die by famine, and I forget what the third thing was. Uh, but he said, I am going to deal with my people. But God told Ezekiel, I want you to take a, a little bit, just a portion of that hair, and I want you to bind it in the sash or the hem of your robe. But he said, I also want you to take that part and put it in fire. But I want you to know, even though some will live, all are going to suffer punishment because of their sins. Now remember, 
The book of Numbers said, be sure your sins will find you out. God cannot let sin go unpunished. So anyway, the good news is Jeremiah preached, Ezekiel preached, other prophets preached uh, for at least Jeremiah for 23 years. And if you don't change, uh, God's going to bring judgment. But the good news is this. Doesn't the message didn't end with judgment? Because Jeremiah said, after 70 years, God is going to bring you back home again. So again, not ending with judgment, but a promise that God was going to remember his people if they confessed their sins and they repented. So Jeremiah says here in chapter 25, a couple of times, chapter 29, chapter 29, chapter 32, this captivity is going to last 70 years. Now, a little bit of Bible trivia. This is not an easy question to answer. Why 70 years? You can't all answer at one time. That's how long God said. There's a reason for that. I knew you wouldn't get it. Say it again. It's the God's number. You're getting closer now. Are you ready for the answer to this? This is free, okay? Now, I, I learned a long time ago, when you learn something new, you get a wrinkle in your brain. Rick stepped out. His brain is smooth. <laughs> I, I wish you had been here. I wanted to say in front of you. But here's what happened. God had told the people of Israel, ever so many years, the land had got to rest. You can't sow any crops. Every seven years, no crops. Israel failed to keep that. They never kept the Sabbath year of rest. And the 70 years are for those years that they didn't keep that rest. Now you learn something, okay? I was uh, about a year or so ago, we were visiting uh, with my sister and brother-in-law. He passes a church near Scottsville, or in Scottsville, I guess near Scottsville, Tennessee, outside of Bowling Green. And uh, somebody asked that question in Sunday school class one day. And it wasn't even a teacher. And I found out later it was a guy that attends that church that thinks he knows everything. Kind of like me, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, uh, he asked that question. And he was surprised that anybody can answer that question. Well, as, as the Lord had, I, I don't know why, I studied it years ago, and I remember that. Uh, but nonetheless, if, if because they failed to keep those Sabbath years of rest. Now remember, folks, God holds people accountable. And that 70 years was exactly for that reason. Now, by the way, I should have made a note of where, of where you could find it in the Bible. I'll find that and let you know where. But understand something here. Jeremiah discovered this. From God. God revealed it to him. When he gets to the book of Daniel, about chapter 9, Daniel is reading Jeremiah. And he's reading chapter 25, or chapter 29, or chapter 32. And he reads there that God had promised, through Jeremiah, 70 years of captivity. And Daniel looks at his calendar watch and says, uh-oh, 70 years is about ready to give up, and we're not any better than we were. 70 years ago. 
And so chapter 9 of Daniel is one of the greatest prayers you'll see here in all the Word of God. But 70 years of captivity. Now, keep in mind, that would be 70 years of punishment. It would not be easy. It would be a difficult time for the people of Judah. They were being punished or would be punished by the people of Babylon. Now again, God is using Nebuchadnezzar. He's using the Babylonians. But also understand, God says through the book of Jeremiah, through the pen of Jeremiah, in chapter 15, 51, he said, also understand, when I'm finished using Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, then I'm going to judge them. Then I will take care of them. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting, we're looking into the book of Ezra, and not a very large book, if you will, but it's interesting, a lot of the prophecies that Jeremiah made are fulfilled in the book of Ezra. In fact, one, we talked about the seven-year captivity. Uh, Jeremiah 25 talked about that, uh, was fulfilled in Ezra. Uh, Jerusalem being restored after 70 years, restored uh, in the book of Ezra, if you will. Uh, the fact that the Babylonians would treat some of the captives in, in a kind way is also recorded in the book of Ezra. Uh, also the fact <clears throat> that Jeremiah prophesied that the Jewish people would be regathered, that's fulfilled in Ezra. And of course the rebuilding of the land of Israel took place in the book of Ezra. All of those things were prophesied in the book of Dan. I'm sorry, the book of uh, Jeremiah, okay, in the book of Jeremiah. Also, during the days of Ezra, uh, the Bible tells us there were other prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, helped uh, lead the people in renewal, if you will, uh, and they renewed their relationship with the Lord. Now remember, as I said earlier, just like when the uh, deportation began to happen, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, it came in in stages, the same is true coming back to the promised land. Now, first of all, there in Ezra chapter 1, uh, by this time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is gone. The Babylonians, Babylonians have been defeated by the Persians, and now Cyrus is the new king. And according to verse 1, what did God do with Cyrus's heart? What did God do? He stirred his heart. Now remember, Cyrus is a pagan king. He's not a believer. But God uses this king to bring about his will. In fact, the same way he used Nebuchadnezzar to punish his people. That's also interesting. God uses this king not only to bring the people back to their homeland, but also to supply what they need to rebuild the temple. Now think about that. Isn't that amazing or what? Now remember, they're in captivity. So basically being in captivity to another nation, what did the Jews own? Nothing. And so chances of them leaving with anything was slim to none. 
But God used Cyrus in such a way that when they returned, they had everything they needed to rebuild the temple of the Lord. Now, the Bible says this was the first year of Cyrus's reign. And he says that God had appointed him to rebuild that temple in Jerusalem. Amazing. A pagan king being excuse me, used by God. Now remember, God said to Jeremiah through Jeremiah, after seventy years, you're gonna the people come back home. You'll come, they'll come back home. And so what does Cyrus do? He makes a proclamation for what? Send him home. Folks, understand this. God keeps his word. He always keeps his word. Now, again, well, I asked this question earlier. What does God know? Everything. When does he know it? All the time. Always has. Here's what's interesting. In the book of Isaiah, about 160 years before Cyrus becomes king, Isaiah prophesied. Now, again, he's writing. God is speaking through Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah says, <clears throat> 160 years earlier, that God was going to use a, na- a man to bring his people back home. But what's interesting, he doesn't just say a man. Isaiah said the man's name would be Cyrus. Had Isaiah ever met Cyrus before? I doubt it. He hadn't been born yet. And this was 160 years before Cyrus became the king. And then Isaiah said in chapter 44 that Cyrus is going to make a decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple foundations. And then in chapter 45 of uh, Isaiah, God says he calls Cyrus his anointed. Who can God use? Anybody he wants to. He used Nebuchadnezzar and he used Cyrus. God can use anyone at any time to do his will. So let me ask you a question. When God prophesied through Jeremiah that the children of Israel would come back home, in, of, the, of Judah, back home in 70 years, what did he mean by that? What do you mean just that, Dan? Just like God said it would. Amen. Yeah. Just like God said. Folks, God keeps his word. And we look at the scriptures and all these, and not just here, but throughout the Bible, all those prophecies being fulfilled. Another example that God's word is always true. It always comes to pass. So when I ask the question, is God's word reliable? Yes. Is it accurate? Absolutely. And we have to understand that truth about God's word. Now, it's interesting in verse 2, Cyrus mentions the the first time the restoration of the temple. And how important was the temple to the Jews? Say it one more time, Dan. Oh, the purpose of their life. 
Their whole way of life revolved around the temple, worshiping God, uh, getting right with God, all of those things. And we know how important that was to uh, the Jewish people. And that's why any, whenever we read in Second Kings and in Second Chronicles, uh, it's so heartbreaking when we see the temple is being destroyed. Now, by the way, in the book of Ezekiel, and I can't remember the chapter now, uh, but God comes to Ezekiel. And he says, Ezekiel, I'm going to take your life of your wife today. And I don't want you to mourn. I don't want you to put on sackcloth and ashes. I want you to preach my word. And the reason he did that was, I want you to let people know that within a few days, the city of Jerusalem is going to fall. The temple will be destroyed. And I don't want the people to mourn. It is too late. It was a sad time in the history of the nation of Israel, and in particular, the southern kingdom of Judah. So it was destroyed, but now God says, I've got a plan. I've got a plan to restore my house. I am going to put it back together. This was a people, uh, it was symbolic of God's presence, is where they came to worship. It's where they brought their offerings to God. It was so important in their lives. And for 70 years, they were in exile uh, by the king of Babylon. And now Cyrus, a king of Persia, says what? Now you can do what? You can go home. You can go home. Go back home to the land God promised you. I want to ask a question about that. From a human standpoint, what was the possibility of those Jews going back home? From a human standpoint. It wasn't possible. No, there was absolutely no reason. Absolutely. In fact, uh, the Persians now, the Babylonians are, are been, been defeated, would benefit. But not by sending them back home. But God stirred Cyrus' heart. Now, I don't know for sure how that worked. I know God moved on him. But I wonder how important Cyrus must have thought he was when that happened. I don't know. But nonetheless, God moved on the heart of Cyrus, and Cyrus made a decree, let them go home. But there's more to the story. We're going to pick it up in just a moment. So let's apply it. Trust that God is in control and that his word is completely reliable. You ever worry about anything? I, I would tell you I don't worry, but then I had to repent for lying, okay? When we worry, what's the main thing we forget? That God's in control. <clears throat> and there's so many things that every week I think about and I pray about. I don't like to use that word worry. But at the end of the day, I've got to come to a place in my life. If God can't control it, it can't be controlled. If God can't fix it, it cannot be fixed. We read a moment ago the first three verses of Ezra chapter 1. The things that happened there, how God stirred Ezra's heart. I'm sorry, Cyrus' heart there. Uh, How does that prove that God's word is reliable? And God did what? Yeah, he made it happen. 
God made it happen. 70 years and God made it happen. And by the way, uh, God wasn't hiding. He said, you'll be in captivity. And you'll be there for 70 years. But I'm going to bring you back. And that very thing happened just the way God said it would. So another question we have in, in, from Ezra, uh, the first three verses of chapter 1. How do you see God, God's sovereign control in these events? How do you see God's sovereign control there? Yes, yes, indeed. And, and, and remember, now, you know, we read about different people in the Bible, but remember, this is not their story, it's his story. God is sovereign. So number one, he's sovereign over the world, keeps his promise. Number two, he restores his people and gives them what they need to do his will. Let's read the first, uh, uh, Ezra chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, and then skip the, and then to chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, this skip down to verse 64 through 70. I'll tell you why in a minute. Verse 64 through 70. Anybody want to read that? Alan, you got that? Thank you. 
Thank you, Alan. Now, it's interesting. Cyrus says, go home. Rebuild that temple. But what, what did they need to do that with? Say it again, Alan. Everything. And now think about this. He said, wherever you live, I want people of the community there, Babylonians, I want them to give you the gold, silver, the animals, plus a free will offering. Do you remember the time when God brought them out of Egypt? What happened then? Gave them what they needed, right? And the same is happening again. So, not only did God stir the heart of Ezra, I'm sorry, I keep saying, of Cyrus, he stirred the hearts of the Babylonians to give them what they need. And also, to help them return safely back to Jerusalem. Now, according to our study guide, probably about a 900-mile trip and uh, probably several months to travel that. But nonetheless, God not only gave them provision for the journey, He gave them protection for the journey. Also, God instructed Cyrus, give them what they need. Whatever they need to accomplish what they need to do. It's also interesting, you you remember um, in the book of Daniel, Belshazzar the king was having a party, and he asked for some of the vessels they had stolen from the temple to drink from, and what happened? Yeah, writing on the wall, he didn't like what it said, okay? But here's what's interesting. And I never thought about that till this week. We know that when they came in to destroy this temple, they took all, this, all the valuable stuff out of there. But how many know that was the hand of God? Because had it been left, it would have been destroyed. And now, God is restoring, not new, but what? The original. Back for temple worship. Now remember, folks, these things were valuable. And I, I doubt that any king would want to give them up unless God serves your heart. And so we, we find out that Cyrus takes care of all of this. So we see a, a rest, restoration of blessing. Uh, we see what God provided for them. Uh, and God certainly takes care of all of that in their lives. Now, remember, here's something our, court, our study guy pointed out. What they stole, God gave back. Can God do that? Absolutely. What they stole, God gave back. So my question is, who or what can stop the will of God? Nothing or nobody. Nobody or nothing can stop the will of God. 
Now, what's interesting is this. This is an amazing thing. And I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, to me, it's amazing that God uses any of us. But he does. He uses us to help accomplish his will. So God puts it in a position, if you will, to be set free. He gives them what they need to perform the work of rebuilding the temple. Uh, again, from the hands of Cyrus. But he also has the blessing of Cyrus on the Jews to go back home. Now, we skipped quite a few verses in chapter 2, but basically all those verses list the different families and how many came from each family during that first wave of going back home uh, to the nation of Israel. But nonetheless, uh, the great news is they were allowed to go back to their homeland. I remember 70 years have gone by. And uh, if th- those who would remember would be in quite, uh, quite a, up in years. And a lot of them would have been born into captivity. And all they ever knew about their homeland is what somebody had told them. But now they're going back home. Back home to the place where their families and ancestors had lived. For years and years and years. By the end of chapter 2, worship is restored, if you will. Now, by the way, they didn't have a building yet. And they still worshiped. Is that possible? Sure it is. And not only did they worship, they received offerings as well. So, Worship is restored. The priesthood is restored. Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, all those temple servants, they're all there. Now, by the way, just we're kind of out of time. Sixty years later, Ezra would lead another group. And toward the end of the book, you're going to find that people weren't doing much better. They started to intermarry. And we're going back to Ezra. Do you remember what Ezra did? He caught some of them leaders and pulled their hair, their beard out. He was flat mad. He could not believe after all that God had done for them, they would go back and intermarry just like the pagans. But again, Ezra brought revival. The people repented and the sin was taken care of. Folks, God keeps his promises. Next week, Nehemiah chapter 1 and Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's stand together, please. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your word. What a privilege to serve a God who keeps his word and provides all that we need for life and godliness. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless each one of you.